This morning's scripture passage is from James 4, verses 1 to 10. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jen. I would like for you, for a moment, to think of a recent conflict that you've experienced. It may be an ongoing conflict. It may be a conflict that you've recently experienced this week, maybe even this morning on the way to worship. It may involve a parent. It may involve a friend. It may involve a colleague, a spouse, a child. Take your pick. I want you to just for a moment try and locate a current conflict in your life. Do you have it? Uh, it shouldn't be hard to do because the truth of the matter is that uh, as far as us human beings are concerned, conflict abounds, doesn't it? It abounds. And it doesn't take very much time around somebody before the sparks are going to fly. True? If you were to spend a day with me, we would have conflict. And I'm a nice guy. Unlike some of you, I'm a nice guy. I have a fairly agreeable personality, but if you spent your day with me, I would eventually do something or say something that would irritate you, and we would have conflict. So how do you, how do you, how do you fix it? How do you fix conflict? <laughs> I mean, isn't that the question we want to know this morning? I mean, how do you fix it? Uh, we'll get there. First, we're going to look at this question. Where does it even come from? What causes conflict? Now, here's my hope. My hope is that you're not going to go out of here this morning and uh, never again have conflict. That is a ridiculous hope, okay? We have conflict. But my hope is this. My hope is that, that this passage could be used to help you to grow because that is, after all, uh, what James is doing here in this little book that we're studying this morning. And that your relationships will go deeper and that they will ripen. That's my hope. So, 
What causes conflict? Wouldn't you love to know? You know, it's, it's a question that has created an industry. Uh, you go online, you can buy books, TED Talks, seminars, conferences. An industry has been built around this question, what causes conflict? And I gotta be honest, I just, I, ha- I couldn't help myself. I had to take a peek this week at, at the top causes for conflict. And, uh, I, d- I looked at a bunch of websites and I've collated them together. And, and here are the top, this is my top causes of conflict. You, you want them? All right. Well, you're gonna get them. No matter what. At the top, at the very top, poor communication. Poor communication, uh, limited resources causes conflict, uh, unrealistic goals, unclear uh, responsibilities and roles, personality differences. And these are the things that we're being told are the cause of, of conflict. Now, I don't doubt, I don't doubt that these things contribute to our conflict, but I'm not persuaded that they are the deep reason or cause for our conflict. And I say that because James here in our passage tells us what the cause of conflict is. He says, what does he say? What causes fights? What causes conflicts among you? Do they not come from your desires that are battling within you? You see, you hear what he's saying. He's saying that our conflict or the cause of our conflict is not because of anything outside of us. It's not because of anything we're battling outside of us. The reason why we have conflict, the cause of our conflict, is because of something that's going on inside of us. There is a battle going on, and it is a battle of your desires. Your desires. Now, you might say, wait, I thought desires were good. Well, they are. They are good. God made us with this amazing capacity to desire things, good things. He made us with this amazing ability to delight in God as the giver and the sustainer of good things. So desire is good. Look, what good things do you desire? You can answer. What are some of the things that you just you desire and you love? Food. Let's talk about food. All right. If, if, if you were to invite me to your house for dinner, and you should, and you were to set before me a, a porterhouse steak, like smothered in blue cheese, mm, and a nice Chianti, and you were to say, is this okay? I would say, yes. <laughs> yes, that's, that's okay. Because it's good. And because we were made to desire good things. But, That kind of desire is not what James is talking about here in our passage. Because the the Greek word, and he he did write in Greek, the Greek word hiding behind the word desires is the word hedone. And if that sounds like hedon, it should. These are hedonistic desires. And a hedonistic desire is a desire for anything in this world that excludes God. It is a desire that severs relationship from God. It, it, it is desire that wants to replace God with something. 
That's what a hedonistic desire is. Those are the desires. Those are the desires that are battling within our hearts and leading to conflict. And we all have these desires. We do. But they may not be the desires that you think when you're in conflict. I mean, when you think about it, when you think about your conflict, now think about that conflict that you have been experiencing. What are the things that we want that lead to conflict? Because James says, you do not have, and so you kill. What are the things we, come on, money, big one, right? What else? Pardon? Control. All right. What else? What are the things do we fight about? Love? Yeah. How many of you fight over really stupid things like receipts and, 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 and which way the, the furniture goes and all that stuff? It's, it's, these, it's, it's these things that we do fight about. But I want to say to you that, that these desires for those things, they, they really aren't the desire that you're really trying to get. That there are desires under the desires. Those things that we think are the cause for our conflict, the things that we want, are just the gateway to get to those things that we are really looking for. What are they? What are those desires? I want to give you four. I think this is accurate. That under all of our desires, there are four basic desires that we're really looking for. We don't know it. We often don't see it. They don't like to be known. They're a bit shy, but they're there, and they're driving everything in all of our conflicts. You want to know what they are? Number one, power. And power wants salvation. Power wants success. Power wants recognition. Power hates to fail. And people around people who have this drive often feel used. Because you're useful to me as long as you're useful. As long as you fulfill my agenda. But the moment you get in the way, the moment you cross me, the moment you're no longer useful to me, we're done. And so people tend to feel used. And then there's control. And control wants not so much success, but safety. It wants safety. And it wants to avoid chaos and pain. And other people around people like this tend to feel manipulated. Because I need my life to be just so everything in its place and don't move the furniture and don't mess with anything because if you do, my world is unsafe and I will do everything to make sure that doesn't happen. Okay? And then there's comfort. And comfort loves ease. It hates stress. It hates boredom. And people with this kind of desire, and we all have it, by the way, People around this kind of person tend to feel burdened because the person's not lifting any weight. Someone's got to lift the weight. Who, who lifts the weight? Not the guy who's lying on the sofa that you've arranged, right? And then there is approval. And approval seeks acceptance. Do you like me? Do you desire me? Do you want me? What's afraid of is, is rejection. Will you reject me? And people around these kinds of people, and we're those kinds of people, tend to be smothered. Tend to be smothered. And you see what James is doing here? He's, he's helping us to go deep, deep down. He's helping us to go deeper than what our current cultural environment where, where would take us. 
He's going deep down into our hearts into these deep, deep desires. Because these are the things that cause conflict. Let me explain. When you have a desire that takes the shape of God, that you've made into a God, and where you're pinning all of your hope, all of your salvation, all of your dreams, everything, when somebody else has their own desires and they collide, you get conflict. James says, you do not have, so you kill. Now, I personally don't believe that they were killing each other. I don't think they were clubbing each other or choking each other. I think, I think that if they were, James would have probably said a lot more than he did in this passage rather than just sort of going on. I think he's going back to the Sermon on the Mount because I think it's long been agreed that he got heavily influenced by Jesus and that sermon. And there is a sermon in, in Matthew chapter 5, 21. It's 21 verse 22 where Jesus says, you've heard it said you shall not murder. That's the act. And then Jesus goes deeper. But anyone who is angry at his brother or sister has already committed murder. And so when these desires collide with other people's desires, we get conflict, we get angry, and so we hurt each other. And the question I want to ask you is, how are you killing people? What's your style? Are you aggressive? Are you aggressive? Do you like throw bombs, you know, and, and knives? I don't mean literally, but I mean, is it explosive? Do you leave the person with like no doubt in their mind as to way, the way you're feeling? Or are you a little bit more passive aggressive? You know, the silent assassin, you know, where you can just carve a person up and they don't know that you came and they're just, they're just bleeding. They're just bleeding. It's like, what just happened? <laughs> I, I don't like passive aggressive people. I'd never tell them that, but I'd, I really don't like them. Um, now, we all have our MO when it comes to conflict and the way we deal with it. And we do fight. And what James wants you to see here in these opening verses is just simply this. The reason for your conflict, the reason for your conflict, it goes right deep down into your heart. You've got these desires and they're misshapen. They're disordered. It's your worship. You may not call it that, but it's worship. Because you're asking these things to bear the full weight and freight of divinity, and nothing under heaven has that ability. But you want it. You want it. But you don't ask, James says. And why would you? Why would you ask for God to give you something when he's not even part of the equation? Right? Makes sense. Or let's say you do. Let's say that you want it so bad. It's like the last ditch effort. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, I'm, I better ask God to, you know, give me that thing. It's like, well, why would he give it to you? Right? He says you ask, but you ask with wrong motives. And that's why you don't receive. You know what? And like, if, 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 if I was God, let me just change it around. Why would God, why would God give you something that's going to replace him? It's like a guy goes to his girlfriend and says, hey, can I borrow some money? I'm taking so-and-so out on a date. Why would you give them the money? No. And you see, here's what, here's, friends, here's, you got to hear this. This is what's leading to conflict. It's these battling desires within us. And we want what we want. And so does somebody else. And so we have conflict.
What's the cure? What's the cure? James gives us a twofold cure here, and surprising. It's probably as surprising as, as the cause. It's very surprising. Because James says, on the one hand, there's something here that you've got to know and something that you've got to do. Something that you've got to know and something that you've got to do. Here's what he says. And it's heavy. Adulterous people. You adulterous people. Don't you know? Don't you know that friendship with the world is, is enmity or hostility with God? Don't you know? When someone says, don't you know, it's because you know, or you should know. What should you know about God? What you should know about God is that he's not okay. He's not okay when our desires are only for the things of this world and have no reference point to him. He's not okay with that. In fact, he calls it, hear hear this, adultery, spiritual adultery. Have you ever known someone who was cheated on? Have you ever been cheated on? Ever been betrayed? I'm walking with a couple right now. They don't go to our church. They don't live in our city, but um, he went outside the marriage. And I'll tell you, I sat with them and I looked into her eyes and the bewilderment and the grief and the anger I will not soon forget. These desires that drive us to the conflict that we experience, they're not inconsequential things. You know, God is not dispassionate about these things. They break his heart. Like the jilted lover. It does break his heart to see us going after what someone once called these less than wild lovers and to forsake the great lover of our souls. And he gets jealous. He gets jealous. Did you you know that? That surprised you? You say, I thought jealousy was, was bad. It's not bad. Jealousy is good. Envy is bad. Envy says, you have something that rightfully belongs to you, and I want it. But jealousy says, I'm angry because you have something that rightfully belongs to me, and I want it back, and I'm going to get it back. And our God is not envious, but he is jealous. And he's jealous for you. So he jealously yearns for the spirit. I think that's our spirit, that he is made to dwell inside of us. He's not okay. He's not into open marriages. You know, he's not into the kind of relationship where, you know, you go after this and that, and he's like, bygones, he's not that God. He's just exclusive in his marriage to his people. And he will do everything he can to pursue his people and find them, even though we're adulterous people. In fact, he came to this very earth. This is how jealous he is. Came to this earth to pursue humanity and went to a cross to die for our sins so that we could be in relationship with him. And he is relentless in his pursuit. Relentless. And he pursues us through our conflict. I know we often think that conflict is the end of the relationship. 
if you think about it, it is just in the hands of a sovereign God, he continues to move in jealousy to surface the things that have hijacked our hearts and how we can be restored in Christ. Glory. You got to know this. In your conflict, you need to know this. You need to know this so that it melts your heart and warms your heart. You're being pursued by a jealous lover. And hear this. The only people that can be adulterous are married people. <laughs> Do you see that? He comes for his people. He comes for the church. And if that's not you this morning, if you, if you have never known what it is to be in relationship with Christ, today's that day for you. And I hope, I hope and pray that you will hear a God who loves you and wants you and will do everything to find you and restore you. That's the kind of God that he is. But you've got to know this about your, your God because it's going to help you with your desires and therefore your conflict. But there's something you got to do, though, and that's the last thing, and I'll conclude with this. You've got to humble yourself. Now, this is, this is probably not what you're expecting in terms of conflict resolution. Probably isn't. I understand that. You know, we've been hearing that we've got these misshapen desires, and maybe the answer is to deaden our desires. No, in fact, it's the opposite. God doesn't want you to deaden your desires. He wants you to elevate your desires, but elevate them until they find their rest in, in him. Yeah. And so what he does is he says, humble yourselves. And you notice he bookends that in these verses. Humble yourself. I think it's verse 6 and then verse 10 at the very end. And the whole thing is sandwiched right here. It's just a bunch of, here's what I want you to do. I want you to submit yourselves to me. Submit yourself. I want you, God says, to just put yourself under my authority. And that may not sound like freedom, friends, but that is freedom. Man, it is freedom to live under authority. Ask my kids. Ask my kids. I've seen, I've seen parents who did not have or exercise authority. Their kids were devils and they weren't happy. Man, to know that, that God is, is good and gracious and kind and to submit to that, oh my gosh, that is life. And he says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. I, I don't think you can actually resist the devil unless you submit to him. I think resisting the devil means this, that he, you have an enemy. An enemy of your soul. And an enemy of your relationships. And he is ceaseless and sleepless. And he wants to destroy. He prowls around First Peter chapter 5 like a, like a roaring lion seeking to devour whoever he will. And that's true of you this morning and your relationships. The reason why he has to flee is because he cannot do anything when we are submitting ourselves to God. We are safe and we are protected. You take yourself out from under that submission, you're open season. You resist him by submitting. You submit, you resist, and he will flee from you. But then he goes on. And he says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I think that's the language of repentance. 
It's this picture of someone who's far away, who draws near to God. God says, I will draw near to you. It's like I was going the wrong way, but now I'm turning back to you. And then there's this cleansing part. Cleanse your hands and your hearts, you double-minded people. That's confession of sin. Where we come back to him and we confess our sins and these bent desires and our idolatry and, and seeking things that are not God. God says, humble yourself. And I will lift you up. Now I'm going to close here. I'm just going to bring it all together. I'm going to show you how this works. I'm going to make myself a lab rat and a guinea pig. Okay. Wendy, I don't know. I haven't asked you for permission to do this, but I think you'll be fine with this. It's not too embarrassing. Wendy and I have been fighting for 30 years. We fought a lot more when some of you are going, yeah, the kids are going, yeah. You know, for 30 years, we've been fighting. We've been learning how to fight. And when we were young in our marriage, we fought. We fought a lot. We fight less, but we still fight. And every year, we have, mm, we have a good one, don't we? We have a good one. We've learned a few things about conflict. And uh, one thing we know for sure is that the thing that we think is the cause of conflict ain't the cause of conflict. But Wendy and I fight very differently. I don't know if you can identify with this. Wendy is quite content to just stand in the fray and, you know, for explosions to be going off and she can keep her, her mind and her wits about her. And uh, she's like a seasoned trial lawyer. I less so. I get flooded. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I just feel these emotions rising. I've got to get out of this conversation. And so we've agreed that we're going to negotiate in those moments. How much time do you need to go and cool down? I say, I need an hour. You get, what, 15 minutes? I need 30, 20 then, okay? And I'm okay with that because the quicker I get out of the conversation, the better for me, right? So I go to my room because I can't leave the house because that's the deal. Because we negotiated that too. And I, and I just begin to pray. And I normally begin with a prayer of lament. Oh, Lord, why did thou give us this woman to me to be my wife? But you see, I know that when I leave the room, I'm going to have to lead with I because we've agreed that there's no you. It's going to be I did this. And so I got to get my heart right with God. And so I do. And then I start looking at what was really going on under the surface. And it's not about the furniture. It's not about the toilet paper. It's not about you showed up late. It's not that stuff. It's those core root, deep down issues, right? And I got to work those. And I got to confess those things to God. And I've got to weep, but I don't. I have to weep and mourn for those things. I, I wish I would mourn and weep more. And I ask God to forgive me. You see, I've expanded the context from just these hedonistic desires to a God who is and a God in, in whose context I live and a God who's jealous for my heart and our relationship. And so I come out, we come out and we did with here's what I did. And here's why I did it. And here's the impact. Will you forgive me? And am I missing anything? Which is the hardest one sometimes because we can angle things, can't we? So that we don't really deal with the main issue. It's like, that's not really the issue. Well, what is this? Well, and then I'm back into my room for another 20 minutes, right? Praying to God, oh, Lord God. why? And so, but this is what we've done. And you've got to see that 
It is the way to resolve conflict. The problem isn't language. The solution isn't language. The, the, the techniques are great, but they don't get deep down deep enough. And you know what else? They don't really cure you where you need to be cured. Because your problem is those battling desires. And the cure is his grace. And there is grace. There is always more grace. So here's what I'm saying. And I'll wrap up this morning. You've got conflict. The cause of it is deeper than you think. The cure is higher than you could possibly realize. But you know what? He loves you. And your conflict has come to you because in the hands of a sovereign God, he wants to do something in your life. He wants to show you his son. He wants you to see him. And he wants your relationships to flourish. So you stop killing each other and start embracing each other and live. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we want good relationships, no matter what those are. Father, I know we would often like to think that we're not the cause of our conflicts, and I think it's probably true in some ways, but Father, you know that we can often respond in ways that aren't right, and we can desire things that you don't want and that exclude you, and we don't want that, Father. Instead, Father, we want, to, we want to know what it means to you that we're chasing after these less than wild lovers. We want to know what it is, Father, for you to be a holy, pursuing, jealous God. And Father, we want to be people who humble ourselves. Because you say, Father, that you're going to lift us up. So lift us up, we pray. And give us your grace. And thank you that there's more grace. Amen.